a merciful God. We worship you. You are my healer. You are my provider. You are my peace giver, my way maker, my chain breaker. Hallelujah. I worship you. I praise your holy name. Hallelujah. You may be seated if you can. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Continuing the series on excellence, and last week we talked about thriving in Babylon. When you're surrounded by evil on every side, when you are in a place where it seems like there's no morality in your workplace, in your school, in your clubs, and whatever it is that you're involved in, it seems like there's a bunch of backstabbing, cussing, drunken, sleeping around. There's this evil all around, and it's beginning to influence you how to thrive, how to survive. And we, we discussed Daniel and how he had the spirit of excellence upon him. And when you have excellence, you don't compromise. We read that they try to set him up. They said, you can't worship anything else but this statue. And he says, I'm not going to compromise. The word of God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And he went ahead and he prayed. He prayed in front of them. And they threw him in a lion's den. But because of his excellence, because he didn't compromise, God protected him. Praise God. That same God we, we heard today during the offering, the devotion and offering, that he is Lord and he does not change. The same God who saved Daniel in the lion's den is the same God that you serve today. So to me, if I would surmise, if I have the same faithfulness, in service to God that Daniel had, might that same God have similar mercy upon me? Yes, some of you, some of you have a question. The answer is yes. That same God would have mercy on you. But the question is, are you serving him like Daniel served him? That's the real question. Do you love him like Daniel loved him? Here's the thing. For those of you who aren't sold out for the Lord yet, listen and take some notes. Because these same principles that we are to apply in Christian life, if you use these, these principles in your life, you're going to see success. You're going to see opportunities. You're going to see advancement in Jesus' name. Amen? Excellence in our life requires structures, boundaries, and order. Structure, order, and boundaries. Structure, order, and boundaries. We're going to need those. This is what we're going to talk about. Daniel had structure in his life. It said that he prayed three times a day. That's where they knew how to get a hold of him. They knew that he was a praying man. They knew that if they made a law against what his activities were, that they were going to catch him. Why? Because he was faithful. He had order in his life. He wouldn't tell a lie. He wouldn't rob from the king. That gave him advancements. He had boundaries. He wouldn't bow before an idol. He wouldn't do those things. He refused to worship the king's statue unto death, but God took care of him. So in order for us to have a, a baseline, in order to have this conversation, structure are the things set up spiritually, physically, and organizationally according to a plan. We see structure in the Bible, we see the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Ghost. We see it in family, husband, wife, and children. We see it in the COG, that's the Church of God, that's our denominational movement. We have a general overseer that presides over the international. We got a state administrative bishop. 
We have a district overseer. And we have our, our pastors at the local church. And then we see structure again at the local level. We have the lead pastor. We have deacons and elders. Or excuse me, elders and deacons. And then we have our servants. There's order. There's structure. You know, I'm, I'm reminded also of the military has structure. Law enforcement has structure. Even your football teams, they have a captain of the team that the referee, when he's not going to go talk to all 11 players, he's going to say, I want to talk to a captain. And if that captain doesn't have the answer, he's going to say, I want to talk to the coach. See, there's an order. There's a structure. There's boundaries. Without order, there is chaos. I want, you to, I want you to hear this. Without order, there's chaos. Imagine if there was no sidelines in a football game. Guy would be running through the crowds. He'd be running all over trying to get to the end. He'd be running. You got to have boundaries. I know right now a lot of people don't like boundaries. They don't like the word of boundaries or walls or things of that nature. Don't, don't believe the hype. We need boundaries. Boundaries keep us safe. Boundaries keep us safe. I have a dog who doesn't know her boundaries. And when she gets loose, we're chasing her across Broomfield and we're over in the apartments and we're going down. We're finding her where she doesn't know about cars and traffic. She just runs. And that's unsafe for a dog to run in a busy street. Would you agree? So her underground fence and her collar, which seems restrictive, which seems like that's not fair, it's inhumane, is actually keeping her safe. It's keeping her within the boundaries of safety. In that boundary, she's well-fed, she's cared for, she's loved, she's protected. She doesn't have to worry about getting hit by cars in the boundaries. Kids who have boundaries know that they're loved, that they're cared for. They know that they're safe. And then when there's not boundaries, they'll do everything. And, they, and I remember having a report back to my dad, like, hey, this is where we're going. This is what's happening. And my friend said, I wish I had a dad who cared enough to ask me where I was going. Because I can do whatever I want. They don't care. Boundaries. See, there comes a time in our life we don't want them. Mind your own business. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's fine, but you're going to pay the consequences as well. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You reap what you sow. If my kids are naughty and they know the rules, there's a consequence to it. You know that there's no, there's no roughing the kicker. If you do in football, there's a flag. There's a penalty. There's no unsportsmanlike conduct. If you, if you break that rule, there's a flag, there's a penalty. You can't face mask. You can't grab him by the mask and yank him down by his head. No, I'm sorry. There's a flag on the play. You were out of order. You broke the rules. 15-yard penalty. That's going to hurt the team. There's consequences in all areas of life. Praise God. There's order and structure. Structure. Let me talk about the structure that's mentioned in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a fabulous, fabulous read. You guys, there's action, there's adventure, there's love stories, there's intrigue, there's giants, there's myth, mythical creatures. They weren't mythical because they actually existed. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. You don't believe me? Read, look up, lion-like men of Moab. Look up King Og of Bashan. Look up King Sihon of the land of Ur. Wonderful stories, intrigue, 
giants, different creatures, things are happening. It's, it, it's real. But this is what we had when we read that. God brought order. When we read about the Israelites, they were slaves. Many, many years, 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. And God brought them out. And when they were slaves, they were told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. They, the, what they ate was this uh, uh, meager things. Then all of a sudden, they have this newfound freedom. What? Now they have this freedom. And it got a little rowdy. It got a little messy. It's kind of like the kids, the last day of school. The bell rings. They're acting crazy. They don't act like they do every other day because they know the next day they got to go in and face the teacher, the principal, the coach, whoever. But last day of school, the bell rings. They're acting crazy. No, you guys said maybe I was the only one. School's out. Hey, take that assignment. I don't want it. You know. So here these slaves are. They have this newfound freedom. But now God has to bring order. He's got to bring some structure. He started giving them the Ten Commandments. He started giving them rules and regulations to live by. Not, not to restrict them from having fun, but to keep them safe. Does that make sense? Because Moses was the one who was leading them. Moses had a helper named Joshua. He had Aaron, his brother, who was the high priest. There were other priests, but there was a high priest. We know that there was a system. There was a way of doing things. And if there wasn't a way of doing things, there was chaos. And with chaos, fear, doubt, worry, disorder come into play. How many have seen riots on TV and you see the chaos and disorder? For the people in those neighborhoods, that's going to bring fear, doubt, and worry. Is it going to be okay? Are they going to burn down the store that I get my medicine at? Are they going to rob the place that we're going to get our groceries? How is this going to work out? What is this going to look like? God brings structure to the Israelite nation. He tells them how to do things. Let me get to order. Order, the arrangement or disposition of people, things in relationship to each other, according to particular six, uh, excuse me, sequence, pattern, or methods. As followers of Christ, our sequence, pattern, and methodologies are found in the Word of God. How we conduct ourselves at church, the order of things, the hierarchy, if you want to call it that, are all laid out in Scripture. I know in Exodus 18, when Moses sat all day listening to the people's complaints, and he would give a ruling. All day, all night he was doing that. And his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of uh, Midian, a Cushite man, told him, this is unhealthy, this isn't good, these people are going to wear you out. And this is what he told him. He gave him some wise advice. He says, put some over 10, some over 50, some over 100, and some over 1,000. And let them share this burden with you. How do you determine who's over 10 versus who was over 1,000? Reputation? Track record? You know people how they conduct themselves. If, I, if someone can't take care of their own finances, I'm not going to let them be the clerk of the church. I love them. I'm not being mean to them, but if they're disorganizing their finances, I'm not going to let them handle the church's finances. Does that make sense? If this dude is breaking his bike and his skateboard and then he has to borrow yours, you're going to be a little apprehensive. If this person keeps getting in accidents and has tickets after tickets and, and his cars are always breaking down and motors are always going bad and he has to borrow your vehicle, you're going to be like, whoa, right? 
For those who, they have a pristine, clean, good running, well-maintained vehicle, and they say, hey, can I borrow yours? Mine is in the shop. Sure. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Are you with me? I'm going somewhere. Hang on. The mature can eat meat. We got some babies in the congregation that are in the nursery. Those babies cannot eat a Big Mac, a Whopper, a Quarter Pounder. They can't have a porterhouse steak. Why? They don't have teeth. And even when they do begin to have teeth, they, go, they move on to cereal and other foods that they can handle. Does that make sense? You and I, we can consume the meatier things. Now, in regards to things of Christ, am I going to put a babe in Christ over those who are dealing with deep issues? Am I going to have someone whose marriage is falling apart try to counsel you on how to fix your marriage? Am I going to have someone who, has, uh, who is sloppy and unhealthy pray for your health and wholeness? Would you want that? Come on, guys. I'm preaching better than what you're letting on, and you're not really with me right now, but I'll come down over here and get up in your face. Here's the fact of the matter is, if you apply these principles that I'm teaching you, you're going to have a more successful life. More than that, as I bring structure and order to the church, there's going to be some people who get uncomfortable. You're going to see some people leave positions and not like it, and you're going to ask yourself, why? If order or structure, order and boundaries are good, and they're leaving because he's bringing structure, order, and boundaries. Why? Don't listen to the gossip. Don't listen to the hype. It's like, well, you know, pastor, just, we just don't see the eye. It's not about seeing eye to eye. I'm bringing you scripture. I'm bringing you the word of God. And the word of God wants us to operate with an attitude of excellence. Even to weigh tables in the Acts, in the book of Acts, they said, go find seven among you full of the Holy Ghost with a good reputation. With a good reputation. If you ask people about someone and they're like, well, I don't know. He borrowed some money from me. He ain't paid me back yet. I don't know if you want him handling that. Oh, she's, she's a busybody. She's got a lot of conversations in the back of the church, off in the corners. She's talking to people. I don't know. Is that someone you want to counsel and give your business to? The busybody? No? You guys can answer back. It's okay. It's all right. You guys are making me work for it today. That's okay. The reason why sometimes it gets quiet is because it's, it's hidden home. That's okay. These messages all, I've had them before, and they've hit me square in the nose. So why is it important that we have structure, order, and boundaries in church? We don't want chaos to ensue here in church. We don't want those things to happen. And in Luke, I'm going to get to that in a, little, in, a, in a little bit. The way things are done, who has authority and order? Sometimes people think just because you've been around a long time gives you rights. I've been here so many years. I've paid so much tithe. What's wrong with that statement? You don't pay tithes. You return it unto the Lord. Did you hear the scripture this morning? Bring the tithe back to you in the storehouse. You don't pay the church anything. 
you bring back what is God's. That's what we believe in the church. So when you say, I paid something, therefore, because now if you think you paid something, that, thing's, that means you're expecting something in return. You, the church owes me. You owe me. What I owe you is to be fair and honest and equitable and show you what Scripture says and teach you the right way. Besides that, I don't owe you anything but to be the best I can be and let iron sharpen iron. Praise God. When restoring structure, order, and boundaries, you'll start to see people's true colors. Some are going to rise to the occasion and say, thank goodness it's been a little loosey-goosey. I'm glad you're doing this. Now I can support you and back you up. Others are going to be like, well, it's kind of like a family thing. We just want to flow in and flow out. Well, you can't grow with that. You can't depend on that. You can't duplicate that. I know when we get familiar with each other and get familiar with the church and things, we, we get used to them, and that's okay. But with excellence, we're always improving. I've been working out. I'm not saying I'm doing great on the dieting part, but I've been working out. I'm trying to get my body fit because I believe it's my body, but it's his temple. And if it's his temple, I should be a good steward of it. How can I abuse my body, eat whatever I want, and then pray for a miracle later when I'm sick with diabetes or heart disease or, or, or cancer? Because I ate and did whatever I wanted, and now I want a miracle. Does that make sense? That's like someone spending their whole check at the bar and then asking you to pay their rent. Is that fair? Huh? No. So let us be good stewards of everything that God gives us. And I'm the steward here along with the leadership team to try to do the best we can. I have this illustration of the tabernacle. If you could put that up. I'm going to leave that up there just for a little while because I'm going to reference it. Talking about order. There is an order to worship. And there's an order to prayer. If you've ever felt like your prayers aren't getting answered, if you've ever felt like you can't reach heaven, there's probably a reason for that. And the reason is because you have been doing it out of order. When you look at this temple, this is a mock-up of the tabernacle that they built in, in uh, the Israelites built in the wilderness. And it's also the way the temple was laid out when they built Solomon's temple. And what we see here, there is only one entrance. And scripture says, enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and enter his courts with praise. You can't get any further unless you have thanksgiving and praise. Unless you have a grateful attitude and you're praising God, you cannot get any further. Not to mention it, this section here, it's called the tent of meeting, where you see the dark blues. The tent of meeting. You can't get into the tent of meeting any way you want. You can't go up into the tent of meeting with dirty hands and dirty feet. You can't go up there with a dirty mouth and a dirty mind. You first got to stop at the burnt offer, uh, the altar of uh, burnt offerings, where that, was, that represents what Christ did on Calvary. That's where the sacrifice was made. And secondly, after you've asked for forgiveness and Christ paid that price, you've got to clean up at the laver. The bronze laver had water in there as a dish where you had to wash up. You had to wash up. You had to get rid of the residue of sin. Here's something interesting that's not taught much in churches. You can ask for forgiveness, yes, and God is faithful and just to forgive us. 
But have you cleansed yourself of the residue of sin? This is important. Let's say I've been looking at some dirty magazines. Not that any of you men have ever had that struggle with that. And then I say, I have conviction. You know what? That hurts my wife's feelings. And that gets me thinking about things I shouldn't. I'm going to put that down. I feel guilty now. Lord, forgive me for looking at that. And he's faithful and just to forgive you. But now, what about the images running through my mind? Second part. I've gotten forgiveness. Now, Lord, please cleanse my mind, my memory, my imagination. Cleanse those things out of there in the name of Jesus. There is the sin, you got forgiveness. But then there is the washing away of the residue. In Psalms 51, when David is praying and he's repenting for sleeping with Bathsheba, he also says, take the hyssop and make me clean. And that, that phrase is more profound than what we realize because in the cleansing ceremony for the Jewish people, they had to take hyssop and dip it in water with ashes from the burnt offering and blood and they would sprinkle it on something and then make it ceremonially clean. Because if you were ceremonially unclean, you couldn't be in the uh, camp with the rest of the people. You had to stay outside the camp until such a time that you were clean again. Why? So you didn't infect other people. Not just infect them with uh, the, the diseases, but also the mindset. If someone's saying, oh, you know, I think this sin is okay, unclean. Now they're infecting others. So now we got to... I can't put them in a position where they're going to influence other people if they have unrepentant, unclean things going on in their life. Does that make sense? So someone might say, well, why did you ask that person not to teach that class anymore? Well, they're living in blatant sin. Do you want them to teach your kids how to sin? Or by example, say it's okay? No, no, it's getting, it's getting quiet. Okay, how about this? Let me put it in a real-world term. Do you want a pedophile running a daycare? No? Well, that's unfair. That's mean. You're going to hurt his feelings or her feelings. Why not let them? They're a person. They have feelings. It's not about the feelings. I don't care about your feelings. What you're doing is wrong. Well, there's no right or wrong. Yeah, there is. You touch my kid, I'm going to show you how wrong you are. Amen? And then after I'm done, I'll call the cops, and hopefully they'll be graceful with me and take care of you. You can't put the wrong person in a spot of influence. Does that make sense? You can't put a thief to work a bank teller. You can't have a pedophile in, in a daycare. And guess what? I'm going to pray for that pedophile. Maybe they were abused as a child, and therefore they are continuing the cycle, and we got to break that cycle. I'm not saying there's no hope for them. I'm not saying that there's nothing that can be done, but that's not the area for you to serve. Maybe you can mow the lawn away from the, the nursery. Maybe you can help pull some weeds. Maybe you can help trim some bushes. But you're not going to work daycare to protect yourself from the temptation and to protect the innocence. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? So here we have this, this order, this structure, this boundary. Here's the thing. 
The Ark of the Covenant is at the end. That's where the mercy seat was. That's where God's presence was. Guess what? There's no back doors into God's presence. There's no back doors into the Ark of the Covenant. There's no coming in the side. There's no coming in the back. There's no sneaking in. You've got to go through all the steps to get there. And the high priest, if he went through those steps and he didn't do it with a pure mind and pure heart, they tied a rope around his ankle and put bells on his garment so they could hear him moving around. Because if there was anything unclean about him, he would drop dead in the presence of the Lord and they would have to pull him out with the rope. Now, we have this, this precious gift. Jesus torn the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. We have access. We don't need a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. But the steps and orders are still the same. I can't go in unless I ask God to forgive me of my sins. And I ask him to wash me of those sins. And then the next section is a table of showbread, which represents the word of God. I have got to live by the word of God. The, the candlesticks represent the Holy Spirit. I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to convict, to encourage, to have an operation in my life. No one comes to know Jesus without the leading of the Holy Spirit. The guilt and shame that you feel sometimes when you did something wrong, that's the Holy Spirit. Don't run from that. That's what, those are our boundaries. He's keeping us in a safe place. There's a clear and distinct procedure and pattern and methodology to coming into the presence of the Almighty God. You can't, there's no shortcuts. Finally, we have the altar of incense. You can't get from the holy place into the holy of holies where God's presence is without praise and worship. Not good motivational songs, not encouraging songs, I am a friend of God. That's not going to get you in. That's a good song, but that's not going to get you in. Why? Because we've got to submit to him. The secret things of this passage is those candles are burning. That's a closed place. There's incense burning. Incense has smoke rolling. In order to see, you've got to get low. What a great posture for praise and worship and before entering in to God's presence. Submission. Paying homage unto the Lord. I know this is deep. I'm trying to teach some meat and potatoes. And, and for some of you, if you don't like it, you know, just hang in there. Just know that you need structure, order, and boundaries in your life. But for those of you who are, are eaten, can, can, can grasp some of this, you were wondering why your prayers aren't being answered. Have you walked through properly before you got into the Lord? so you can even lay the need at his feet. You want your prayers to be powerful and effective as a mighty and righteous man and woman of God? You've got to learn this process. When we come together at church, hopefully you've already began this process before you even got here. Don't wait till you get here to try to get started. Get started while you're at home. Begin to confess. Begin to ask for cleansing. Begin to be in your word already in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And then you come in ready to go. You have clean hands, clean feet, clean mind, clean heart. And then we enter into worship. And you know you're already ready. We do a few praise songs. Praise begins to exalt him and begins to brag on him and what he's done for you and all those things. 
That's praise. Then worship. Then we begin to say who he is, how we honor him, how we love him. And that is the only way. Do you see any other way? There's no other way. If you want the presence of God, I'm talking about Shekinah glory, the manifest presence, and we've only tickled that here. I've been monitoring. I've been watching as the as the as the priest of the house. I've been, Lord, I want your presence. How can we get there corporately? We've done some things a little bit not totally along the lines. A lot of us just march in and think we're going to go right in. You can't. There's no other way. There's no side door into the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place, the presence of God. There's no shortcuts. Boundaries. A line that makes limits in an area, dividing lines, uh, uh, limits of subject or sphere of activities. Boundaries can be physical structures, like the walls around Jerusalem. Fences in your yard to keep your animals safe or your children safe. They can also be rules and regulations that keep us safe in life and relationships. We know that God gave us boundaries with the Ten Commandments. We know that God tells us in Revelation 18, come out of her, my people. Don't participate in their sins, because if you do participate in their sins, you're going to get their judgment. So if you're with someone condoning something that is evil, when they get punished, you'll get punished. An accessory. I know a, a young man that went to our church, Salo Montavo. He uh, drove his friends to the store. And the original story was, unbeknownst to him, they went inside to get something. They robbed the store, shot the man. They came back and said, drive. As he's driving away, they told him what they did. He got life. He did not pull the trigger. He did not do it. From age 15, he got life. He spent more time in prison than out of prison. A good church boy. Because he was with someone and people who did something that was wrong. Tell me who you hang with and I'll tell you who you are. Be careful of your associations. Be careful of the company you keep. Someone's influencing someone. I'd rather that you as righteous men and women of God be the influencers. We got to have these boundaries. Out of bounds in the game, it's no good. Out of bounds in a relationship. Men and women alike, you got to have boundaries. We have order in church. We have boundaries in church. And there's a reason for it. In Scripture, it says, if there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church and let them anoint you with oil and pray for you that you may be healed. Does it say call the deacons? Does it say call the greeters? Does it say call the parking lot people, the facilities director, the maintenance guy? No. It says call the elders of the church. There's a reason why it says call the elders of the church. Those reasons are because there are specifics regarding who elders can be. And we read those in Timothy. We read those in Titus. We read those in Acts where it tells us the qualifications of what an elder can be. It tells us who can and can't 
do these things. And I just want to read that for you uh, for a moment, if I can uh, get that. Okay. Here is a trustworthy saying, anyone who has a heart of being an overseer or an elder has desire a noble task. This is in Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3. Now, an, an overseer or elder must be above reproach, a husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. will not fall into disgrace and into devil's traps. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, including uh, and not indulging in much wine and pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold deep to the truths of the faith with clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. What this is saying is don't let just anyone come up and pray. There's a reason for that. It's, uh, this Holy Spirit's doing something. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if someone's feeling this or getting convicted of it or what, but this is called the elders of the church. If you don't qualify to be an elder, that's okay. You might sometime. Or a deaconess or deacon. It also says, don't be quick to the laying on of hands, as some are doing. Why is that important? Babe, can I have you come up? So you're up here, act like you're praying. She's praying. And my heart goes out to her. And here I am, a man, and I don't know her need. And I come up and start praying and laying my hands on. What if her prayer request is, my husband just left me. I'm alone. I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling rejected. Ooh, that's a nice warm hand on my back. Feels strong. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, man, you better not be touching. Or what if she's praying, I've been abused. I've been battered. I've been hurt. And then feels a man's hand. You don't know what she's going through or what she's dealing with. Don't be quick to laying on of hands. And if you haven't been tested, like scripture says, you haven't been, I, I don't want to say, how would you find out if someone has a good reputation? Word of mouth? And how, how, do, you how do you find that out? You got to ask. So now, how does that? Well, you've been asking about me, Pastor? Absolutely, I have. I want to know, do you have a good reputation? If I find out, well, he's a little flirty with the ladies, you know. No, no. I'm going to help you. I'm going to pray with you for that. But this is not you're not on altar team. Does that make sense? Well, I see him. You know, he's struggling a little bit. Well, if you're struggling with that, how can you pray for someone who who's, has that prayer request, right? Because people aren't just people. It's the spirits that go with them. Man, I just dropped a bomb on your lap. You No, know, no, no, you don't got to clap. I, the bomb is we're not dealing just with people. We're dealing with the spirits that follow them. It's the Holy Spirit. 
or it's something else if they're struggling in the area. Could be just the lust of the flesh, but usually when you, when you indulge in a sin, you open the door of protection, the hedge of protection that was about you. You let way in for uh, oppressive things. Is that, am I going too deep? Is this, are you guys okay? Is it all right? I know this is deep teaching, but this is going to enable you to live a more successful and healthy life with the Lord. Does that make sense? So this is why we have boundaries. This is why we have order. That's why, you know, I'm not just going to let anyone serve in any place they feel they want to. Because longevity in a church doesn't mean maturity. No more than me walking into a karate studio makes me a black belt. Right? I can walk into a police station. doesn't make me an officer. They got a protocol. They got a system. I got to go through some training and some schooling and some testing. And then maybe if they want me after interviewing me, testing me, and researching me, maybe they'll let me. Why should the church be any less? Why should it be any different? In my opinion, in some cases, it's just as important, if not more. Jesus is a God of structure, order, and boundaries. Satan is a God of chaos, confusion, doubt, and worry. Beware of those who continually challenge authority and step out of structure, order, and boundaries. As we pursue this and we try to bring structure, order, and boundary to our church, and you see someone who's rebelling against authority, rebelling against what's trying to happen, they're, keep, they're continuing to step out, and they're continuing to have backdoor conversations. Beware. Beware. Why are they saying those things? Why are they doing those things? And why do they feel comfortable enough to share it with you? Why do they feel they can come to you and have an audience with you? Mm. Beware of those. This is what Matthew 7.15 says, and I'm, and I'm going to bring this in for a close. This is what it says about this. Because some people say, well, you shouldn't judge me. Who do you think you are? What's going on? We, as Christians, we cannot judge the world. That is God's responsibility. That's God's responsibility to judge the world. We don't know what's going on out there. We don't know what's going on. But amongst ourselves, we must know those who labor amongst us. We must know the fruit that they bear. We are to assess each other. How else can I help you unless I make some sort of assessment? How, what's the whole qualifications of elders and deacons and overseers unless I'm assessing you? How can I find out if you're a good man of reputation or a woman of reputation unless I find out what people are saying about you? Does that make sense? So when people say, oh, don't judge me. Well, you're not in the world. If you're in the church, I'm not judging you. What I'm saying is I want to know who I'm laboring amongst. They did with me when I came here. They got my whole resume, my, my, my secular work resume. They got my ministry resume. I, I interview in front of a panel of like six, seven, eight people. Asked me all kinds of questions. They were praying. I was praying. The over, overseer was praying. He was involved in the interview process. Oh, I was judged. I was analyzed. And it's okay. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. 
Here's what the Word of God says. Watch out for false prophets. Now, this isn't saying, thus saith the Lord prophets. Prophets who, people who, who are trying to bring you the Word of God, and they think they, they know what it is, this is what it says. Watch out for, for pro false prophets. They come to you like in sheep's clothing, but not inwardly. They are vicious wolves. By their fruits, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is the fruit? People's language, their conduct, their mannerisms. What are they talking about? Who are they talking with? How are they conducting? Are they, are they following leadership? Or are they rebelling against leadership? What, how are they doing it? Are they creating confusion and chaos? Or are they trying to help and support and pray? Know them by their fruit. Know those who labor amongst you. You are free to analyze each other. Not in a judgmental way because scripture says, be careful by the measures you analyze others because God will analyze you by the same measures. So this is how we do that. We use the word of God to assess. Don't add anything to it. Use the word of God. And you should be okay if someone uses the word of God to analyze you. It's not a bad thing, but we got to know who those who labor amongst us. Excellence in life is not doing great and profound things. It is about doing small things faithfully to the best of our ability with an attitude of excellence unto the Lord. If you're picking up trash out here and you're doing it with excellence, you're doing a great and mighty thing. You're operating in excellence. If you see a stain on the carpet and you say, you know what, I got access to a carpet cleaner and you just do it without anyone asking you, praise God, you just stored up treasures in heaven. You see, you see some stuff going on. You see a, a vacancy. Hey, pastor, I noticed that, you know, there's no one watching the back door. There, there's no one working nursery. I want to help. I want to, how can I qualify to, to work and serve in this area? We're all called to be servants of God. Amen. And it's not necessarily teaching a class or preaching or doing music. You can serve simply. You can be on an uh, accessory prayer. Who's our prayer warriors in here? All right, we, we got two and a half. Praise God. Two and a half prayer warriors. We need a few more, amen? <laughs> Come on, guys. Work with me here. We're a church. <laughs> we should have had everybody's hands go up. We had two and a half hands go up. So I say half because one was like, I don't know. I may, am I? I, don't know. I? I pray on Wednesdays. I don't know. Just kidding. Guys, I love you. I want to see the best happen in your life. I want to see the best for this church. And in order for us to be successful and grow and reach the community and beyond, we got to have structure, order, and boundaries. we got to operate with an attitude of excellence. That means I commit to you to do my best to live a righteous and holy life and to be an example in my language, my attitude, my service. I'm not saying I'm always going to get it right or perfect. I'm going to try. 
I answered, I answered to a leadership team and the, and the state overseer. I have someone I answer to. I'm going to ask you to join me on the journey to excellence. Join me in making the small adjustments in your life. Don't read your devotions just to get through, but ask Holy Spirit, what can I gain from this? If someone comes on your mind, it's probably not just happenstance. Holy Spirit wants you to pray for them. Pray for your church leaders. And Scripture says, pray for your political leaders that there may be peace in your land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will heal their lands. He's talking to the Christians, my people. Let us be a praying people. Please bow your heads. We're going to go before the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that word. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 reads, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed in the love of the Lord. You are dismissed.